your Bibles to the Gospel according to the good Dr. Luke. We are moving slowly through chapter 9. We're in verses 12 to 17. The title of the message is The Miraculous Meal. If you've been with us for any length of time, you might remember we preached this, but a little differently. You'll know that. You can go back and listen to the one in John. Because John had a little different emphasis, and and Matthew and Mark have a little different emphasis, and so does Luke. And there's a reason for that, and we're going to see that today. We'll see it in this passage. So we have the title of The Miraculous Meal. It's really an an acted-out parable, and we'll walk through that. Chapter 9, 12 through 17. Hear now the word of God. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. May God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant fellow board. Let's pray. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, whether here in this building or across the internet. Speak life. Raise from death to life. Give the gift of repentance and faith. For those in storm winds, make it a word of comfort, peace. For those who are tired, weary, and heavy laden, a word of rest. All things to all people that some might be saved. Father, we ask that you give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come now, fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay. Here we go. Very simple. It's a deep message, but it's simply laid out so that we can all understand it. There's something dramatic that Luke is drawing our attention to, and we'll see it as we go through. So there's three headings under the title Miraculous Meal. Number one, the miracle itself. Number two, the meaning. And then finally, number three, the Messiah. As we read it, you probably heard what you might call an echo clear allusions to some things that were happening in the Old Testament. Remember what we've said over and over and over again, and we say it primarily for our parents to reiterate it to their children, to prepare your students when they launch from your care out either into the world or to the university, to the academy, to the military, into the workforce, wherever they go. We have to prepare them so that we teach in such a way that we demonstrate this book that you hold as a single word, one word, from one God to one world, and how it all beautifully fits together like pieces of a puzzle. And that's what we're going to see in this passage today, and exactly why Luke does it the way he does. That's why it's important to read all the gospel accounts. In all of the gospel accounts... Other than the resurrection, 
This is the only other miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels. You would assume the resurrection, but think of some of the great miracles that you remember. None of them. This is it. This miraculous meal and the resurrection are in all four. That all by itself is instructive. That tells you, slow down. Let's figure out what's not going on. And then let's figure out what is going on and watch how it strengthens your understanding of the Bible truly being the Word of God. As disciples of Christ who are called to share the gospel, when you share it and you speak to people about Jesus, there are all sorts of objections that come up. The one that we want to make sure that we can easily answer is that the Bible is the Word of God. Not just because it says it is. You go to 2 Timothy, all scriptures, God breathed. Great. We believe that. But that would be called circular reasoning. It's God breathed, and the Bible says it's God breathed, and he says it's God breathed, so it's God breathed. How do we get out of that? We look at how all of this beautifully fits together. 40-plus writers, 1,500 years, three continents and three languages. You figure it out. And you're going to see this beautifully foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Pointing not just to this meal, but eschatologically. Oh, that's a big word. What does it mean? I have no idea. I saw it somewhere on the internet. Eschatolog. It just means the end. End times. That's all. But we have to use those terms sometimes because it kind of flows. This is a Christological message that points us eschatologically to the end. What's coming at the end? The feast. The marriage feast that you have been invited to as the bride of Christ. Don't miss this. Fasten your seatbelts because we are going out into deep water to let our nets down for a catch. Number one, the miracle itself. Let's be clear on the miracle. Luke 9, we've skipped the first part. We're going to come back to that at the end. 13 to 15, he replied... You give them something to eat. Remember in the other gospel accounts, he's testing the disciples. Luke doesn't take us that deep, but it's a test. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. But now I want you to see something that's important. Luke, right here in the middle of the passage, tells us 5,000 men were there. When you read Mark, listen to me carefully. When you read Mark and you read Matthew, you find that at the end. There's a reason for it. This is just a a byline for, for Luke. Luke is not focusing in on the people. He's focusing in on the provision. Watch this. Don't don't miss this. But he said to his disciples, so he parenthetically throws this into the middle. And then he rolls right out. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Okay, let's deal with the 5,000 men, right? You see that written? Who's counted in, 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 in the scriptures? Men. So the real miracle is what? It, it could have been 10,000, could have been 15. Some scholars say it could have been 20,000. We have no idea. But we know it's not 5,000 because 5,000 men were counted. And we can reasonably assume that there were women and there were children. So there's a massive, massive, massive amount of people But yet Luke still is not primarily focused on that. Let me make something perfectly clear what this is not. 
But let's look at a passage first. We have to go to John, because we don't get this one in Luke. So we go to John so we can fit it all together. And I want to show you what this is not teaching. John 6, 9. Here's John's account. Here is a boy, the little boy, with five small barley. Pause for a moment. You know what a barley loaf looks like? You ever get a biscuit from a restaurant? It's a biscuit. Don't picture these massive loaves, which really wouldn't matter with 5,000 anyway, right? But, 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 but this is instructive. Barley loaf. Instead of just a loaf, it's barley, so it's this big instead of that big. It's drawing your attention. Remember, you're, you're to be drawn into the story. You're to come into the story. How does your story intersect with this story? So there's five little biscuits, a couple fish, But how far will that go among so many? So here's scholars, biblical, who deny the miraculous, say, well, here's here's what this means. The disciples found the little boy with a lunch bag and brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at it, and instead of giving it back to him and sending him into town, he took it. So the people closest to him said, oh, a little boy sharing the meal with Jesus. Maybe we should take what we have out of our bags. And it began to spread like wildfire. And they all took what they had and shared with everyone around them. And it became a wonderful message of ethics. An ethical teaching on sharing your meal with someone who's hungry. Is that the message? Surely it can't be that. It must be deeper. Then some will say, well, it shows the great compassion of God. Does it show God's compassion? Of course it does. Is that the message? It must be deeper than that. We can't leave it at at an ethical message of sharing, which it was not. And we certainly can't leave it as a message of compassion, which God is compassionate. But there's something deep that's taking place in this miracle, and you're going to see in a moment where it's positioned. Now, before we leave the miracle, I asked you to enter into the story. You're in now. Ready? Then he gave, verse 16, don't miss this. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Now I'm going to go to meddling. You know, when a pastor goes to meddling, kind of enters in and you walk out, go, oh, man. Why does Jesus do that? Couldn't Jesus have just taken the five loaves and the two fish, raised them to heaven, and poof, and everybody was eating? Let's be more practical. Let's say there's 15,000 people and you're in the back row. You ever been to a wedding feast, a buffet, and you, you, they tell you it's time now to go to the table? And you try to, and they try to go one table at a time. You try to get up there, and you oh, there's 50 people. I'm never going to get up there and get the food. 15,000 people are in the back, and they're watching the disciples walk around and hand. Why? Why not just rain manna down from heaven? Fly some quail in, get them all fed. Why not? Have just the fish, just flying fish. Why not? God will work no needless miracles. He'd rather work through you. Got it? Yeah. 
Now we've gone to meddling. Because God has ordained that his kingdom would be expanded through the ministerial work of his people. Not a needless miracle. He doesn't need us. But he chooses to use us. So he demonstrates by handing them. And they, can you imagine how long that must have taken to pass all that out? But he was, it was an object lesson. It's an acted out parable. He's teaching them, this is what you're here to do to expand my kingdom. So he hands it to them and it runs through the disciples. So the question before the house is this. What little? What little do you have to offer up to Jesus? You know how many people say to me, I, 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 I can't sing like that. I can't play like that. I can't speak like you. I can't serve like them. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do What can you do? What can you do? Well, I can do that. Do it for the glory of God. What gift do you have? Well, I do that. Do you know if you don't put in what God has given you that we're all diminished as the church of Jesus Christ? Did you know that? Now I'm going to give you something else even more radical. You ready for this one? But you got to hear me. Don't, don't misunderstand what I say. You may have to go back and replay this. Listen to me. You know there are some people who will only be saved through you. You're speaking to the person that, did he just say I'm going to save some people? I No, I didn't say that. No. There are some people that are only going to be saved through you. God does the saving, but he has ordained people to be saved through you by what? Sharing the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost world. He's ordained you to be the vehicle of the good news. So he hands him the bread and says, you hand it out. I can only imagine Peter after about the 15th time going, why didn't he just send it to everyone? It's just taking forever. That's the point. God will work no needless miracles. He'll work through you and you and you. Because that is what he has ordained. That's the miracle. The miracle of coming out of the pew and surrendering and submitting control of your life to Christ to be used as he has ordained you to be used. You know, we have a group of quilters in this church. Quilters. When that was at, we launched on the pool deck of the Miller's house six years ago. Joe says, what do you think about quilting? What? We're going to start a sports ministry and a fight. All these things we're going to do. What do you think about quilting? I don't know. What should I think about it? Well, we have a bunch of ladies who are quilters and know where to quilt. Excellent. Now we've got a quilting ministry. First ministry we had at the cross. Quilting. We still got it. They're making quilts and sending them everywhere. Hearts that are broken. People that are in despair. Give the Lord a hand. And they're making quilts. With a needle and some thread. It's unbelievable. What do you have? What little do you, that you're supposed to put in? Put it in. God's calling you to put it in. Number two. Now, here's where we're going deeper. We're going to head out a little deeper into the water. Here we go. Now the meaning. What's the meaning? Don't miss the meaning. If, we, if it's not an ethical message and it's not just a message about compassion, what's the meaning? What is the meaning of the message? Got to go back to John. What did the multitudes think? Remember, there's thousands and thousands of people. What did they think this meant? Let's get into the story. Get into the minds of those who are in the story. 
And remember what I've told you about getting into the story. Don't be confused. When you get into the story, remember, you're never Jesus. You're always the ones who's messed up. Some people get in and they're, oh, yeah, I'm a lot like him. No, you're not. No, no, you're like them. It's talking about you. So don't, don't, some people get that all messed up. I, it's like the, 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 the person comes up to me after the service and they hear the message and they say to me, oh, pastor, what a message today. Oh, if only my husband would have been here to hear it. Or my wife. Or my best friend. No, God's speaking to you. To me. This is a message to me first. So what, what, what were the people thinking? What was in the minds of the, the masses? When they saw the miraculous sign, John talks about signs. Signs were pointers, right? They pointed to something that was coming. That's that, that's that, that eschatological coming fulfillment. God's redemptive plan is coming to fulfillment. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Well, why would they say that? Why in the world would they say that? Go to Exodus 16.4. Surely you hear the illusion. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. They knew the story. They read the scriptures. They had the Hebrew Bible. They knew the freedom that the little children of Israel experienced coming out of Egypt and the food that had been provided from heaven. They knew that story. They see this now in Jesus. So they think this has to be the prophet. Well, they can go further. Go to Deuteronomy 18.15. Now here are the exact words right in Deuteronomy. The Lord will raise up a prophet like me. This is, this, is, this is Moses. From among your own brothers, you must listen to him. They've got it figured out. This is the story of manna from heaven. This is the greater Moses. He has delivered food out of, from nowhere. It's even better than manna from heaven. That manna came straight from heaven, right from God. God created This has come out of nothing. Five loaves and two fish. This has to be the guy that we've waited for. The time has come. This is it. The, the king, the promised king has come. We're going to remove the boot of Rome from our throats. We're going to reestablish our nation again, Israel. And this is the king who has come to do that. Is that what they were thinking? Moses led Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus leads true Israel out of slavery to sin and death. But in John 6, 15, this is what the masses thought this meal meant. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, let's be clear. He knows their hearts. He knows what they're thinking after this miraculous meal. They're convinced this is the greater Moses. Moses was known as the deliverer in the Old Testament. Yes, delivered his people from bondage. Here comes the new Moses, the greater Moses, who's now delivering us from bondage to Rome. What did they miss? They thought their greatest enemy was Rome. That wasn't their greatest What was their greatest enemy? Sin, Satan, and death. That's how, listen to me. You ask the question, how do you go from here on good, how do, you, how do you go from the triumphal entry here on Palm Sunday? How do you go from Hosanna to five days later, on good, five days, Good Friday, before the palm fronds that are laying on the ground, before they turn brown? How do you go from Hosanna to crucify? 
He's not the king they wanted. King's now in, 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 in bondage. King's been beaten, scourged, and about to be crucified. That, that's not the king we want. What happened? All that, that food and, 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 and the blind that see and the lame that walked and the deaf that hear and the dead that were raised. What is this? We, we don't understand. See, they misunderstood the Old Testament that told us the suffering servant must come first. They missed it. They missed it. Jesus didn't come to be king right now to set up his earthly king. That's not, that's not why he came. So is Jesus. Here's the question. Be, be careful how you answer. Is Jesus your earthly king or your eternal king? Which one? Now, here, here's, here's the way to frame it. If he is the first, you miss the second. If he is the second, you get both. So you have to decide. Is he your earthly or your eternal king? And you know based on how you live your life. Okay, now let's go to the deep meaning. Here's, we're going to go out into a little deeper water. This is not about manna from heaven. There's a deeper message. Do you hear the echo? Do you see the illusion? There's something else in the Old Testament. It's deeper than the manna. Manna doesn't coincide with this at all. There's a deeper one. What just happened? Listen, listen, stay with me. Ready? Ready? What precedes this story? Remember, you go to Mark and you go to Matthew, there's a bunch of other stuff that comes after the story. Luke doesn't do that. What precedes the story? He sent out the 12. They did the ministry, but something happened in the middle of that. Do you remember what it was? Remember what Herod said? I'm perplexed. Some say this is John the Baptist, but I cut his head off. Others say it's Elijah come back or a prophet. Who is this man that everyone is speaking about? Miracle, feeding of the 5,000. Immediately into Peter's Christological confession based on the question from Jesus, who do you say I am? Luke. Herod says, who is this guy? Jesus says, I'll show you who I am. Jesus asked Peter and you today, who do you say I am? It's not a message about sharing your food. And it's not even a message about the compassion of God. It is the king who has come. He has been preaching the kingdom of God and the kingdom is here. And I am the king. And you should see that in this miraculous feeding because this is what I have. This is pointing to the meal that is about to take place for you when you cross the Jordan. That day is coming. Stay with me. Stay with me. Don't miss this. There's a past and a present message. 2 Kings 4, 42 and 43. Please don't miss this. A man brought, this is, this, is, this is not the manna, this is Elisha that it's, remember, 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 what happens after the Christological confession from Peter? What happens next? Transfiguration, who's on the mountain? Moses and Elijah. All of this fits. All of this fits beautifully together to strengthen you in your faith. All of this flows perfectly into a single strand of truth. That Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one who was to come. Listen to this. A man brought 20 loaves of bread of the first fruits. Don't miss first fruits. Always give God your first fruits. Don't give him what's left over. Give him the first. And Elisha said, give it to the people to eat. Now notice, you're going to hear an echo in the story we just read. Elisha says to the servant who's got 20 loaves, it's 100 people, feed them. 
What? Jesus says to the disciples, five loaves and two feet. Feed them. What? For this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them and they ate and had some left over. This is the messianic banquet. This is pointing to the eschatological end of God's unfolding plan of redemption, the promised wedding feast for you, the bride of Christ, where you will eat and be satisfied and there will be leftovers. That's what this story is pointing to. You, 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 you hear the echo you, you, you feel the illusion of it. You, it's almost identical what's taking place between the man of God, Elisha, and the son of God, the greater Elisha. There's the promise. Now, go to the present. Here is the promise, and this is the presence now of the kingdom. Isaiah 25, 6 and 8. On this mountain. What a messianic banquet is coming. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples. This had nothing to do with sharing a meal. And it's deeper than the compassion of God. And go to Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. Ready? See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. He feeds his flock like a shepherd. Now I'm going to take you one level deeper. Watch this. Don't miss this. In, 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 In Judaism. What, what did the meal, what, what did table fellowship represent? We've talked about this. It, it's the presence of God, right? We, we, we eat together in the presence of God. We break bread. We use the phrase often, let's go break bread together. They break bread. and It's acknowledging the blessings and the presence of the Almighty. Table fellowship. That's exactly what took place here in the wilderness, but it's easily missed. Watch this. Verse 12. This is called superabundant table fellowship in the wilderness. Watch. Even though it took place in a remote place, all the elements that one would expect for formal table fellowship takes place. What's the next thing that happens? Jesus tells the disciples in 14, have them sit. We sit at table. 5,000, so 15 to 20,000. Matthew says in groups of 150, he's sectioning them off and he's having them sit. One of the primary elements in table fellowship is that we will sit and recline together at table. But there's more. In a remote place, mind you. No place for ceremonial washing. No place for offering the first fruits of the food. Just the meal itself. Because Jesus is pointing to something beyond what the Pharisees were living. Verse 16. Here it is. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. (laughs) Jesus is presiding over the meal. Jesus is the host. This This is your meal. This is for you. This is a picture of what's coming. 
And the host blesses the food, and he breaks the bread, and he gives it to all those to eat. This is table fellowship. This is not an ethical message of sharing. And it's deeper than the compassion of God. Jesus cannot, oh, go to here, verse 17. Now, this is why why Luke closes. Now, Luke doesn't close with the number of people. Watch what he closes with. He's pointing primarily to provision and not to people. Matthew and Mark close their accounts with the number of people. John just flows in to the response of the crowd. So Matthew and Mark close with the people. Luke doesn't do that. What does he do? They all ate, verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. You know the 12, right? You know the importance of the 12. He picked 12 disciples. Why? Judgment upon Israel. Apostate Israel had been judged. So the 12 tribes, here's now the 12 apostles, 12 baskets. 12 baskets what? Of broken pieces that were left over. There was more left over than what they started with. That's the messianic banquet that's coming. That's the promise from the Messiah. The king is here. This is it. It's not, why, did, why is it in all four of the Gospels? This is the most important miracle. Forget the raising of the dead. Lazarus is going to die again. That little boy's going back to the grave. So is the little girl. This is the one. This is telling you, the ki- I've been telling you the kingdom of God is here. It's here. It's me. I'm it. Trust in me. And they all run and hide. Even the disciples. They run and hide. Until when? Third day. Stay with me. The Messiah. John 6, 10. We go back to John real quick. Just so that we're clear how all this beautifully ties together. Watch this. John 6, 10. Under the Messiah. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass. Who cares if there was grass? Why is that there? You know it's there for something, right? It's instructive. Why grass? Because it's telling you what time of the year it is. When was grass available? In the ancient world in Israel. Springtime. What happened at springtime? Passover. And who was the true Passover lamb? John the Baptist identified him. Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. That's why there's grass. All of this is pointing to the promise of the Messiah who has finally come. And that's what it's supposed to teach us today. Don't go out talking about the superabundance of God providing and preaching the prosperity. They'll take this and they'll run these prosperity messages that are just silly. There are some people right now who are starving. God didn't promise a chicken in every pot. He didn't. He sent us out to alleviate as much of it as we can. Give a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty. Feed those who are hungry. Clothe those who are naked. Give shelter to those who are we, We're called to do that. But that's not the promise. This is the promise. The promise of what's to come. The promise of sitting at table with Jesus. Where you will have plenty to eat. 
And there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more sickness, and no more death. John 6, 30 to 35. What miraculous sign will you give so that we may believe you? Our forefathers ate manna. See, they're always going back to the forefathers ate manna. That's all they want. Just feed us, feed us, feed us. As it, our forefathers ate manna. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, stop. Wasn't Moses? It's my father who gives you true bread. Now, I'm the true bread. I'm the true Moses. I'm the true Elisha. I'm the true Elijah. I'm it. Everything that you know back here is fulfilled here in me. And I'm going to carry it on to completion and get you to the other side. If you trust in me alone. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, sir. From now on, give us this bread, they said. They're thinking they're just going to have their bellies full. You know, there's something, and I'm not minimizing an empty stomach, but there's something far greater that's worse than an empty belly, an empty soul. There is compassion in the message. The people were hungry and they were fed. He didn't need to feed them, but he did. He didn't need to perform all those miracles that met physical needs in people's lives. He could have just kept walking on water and flying around Jerusalem, right? But he met physical needs. Why? The gospel meets physical needs. Are you the hands and the feet of Christ? Are you? We are called to meet physical needs. The gospel meets them. But there's something deeper than the physical need. Don't just give a cup of water without telling them who the living water is. Don't give them a slice of bread without telling them who the true bread is. Don't do it. Tell them. Tell them it's Jesus. Whoever, here it is, whoever and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, will never go hungry. From the Egyptian exodus to the eternal exodus, from Moses to the Messiah, from the bread from heaven, the bread of heaven. See the difference? How do we close? Now, now we're going to go to meddling. What did I say every, every sermon? What does the text say? What does the text mean? What does the text require? This is a simple requirement here. Watch what happens in this text. We'll take it right from the text. And then put yourself in and ask yourself, how often do I do what the disciples just did? Ready? Watch. Going back to the beginning. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. So here, I want you to notice what happened. When is it? It's late in the afternoon. What can we assume? Well, let's say like you, 10.30, you came this morning. So let's say Jesus started at 10.30 and he started preaching. So, so don't be looking at your clocks. We're going to stay now late afternoon. We're going to stay today. We're going to stay. So we're going to stay late, about 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and then you're going, to get, you're going to be hungry. You're going to be sitting there. What are you going to do? You're going to tell somebody next to you, like, go up and say something to him. You've got to get this stopped. We're, we're, we're starving out here. I got a chicken in the pot at home. It's boiling over. I had no idea we'd be this long, long-winded. Well, let's, let's be practical for a moment. That's a long day. He didn't start late in the afternoon. 
Jesus gets up early, goes out in the solitary place, and he prays. And he preaches early, and he goes long. So don't be fussing about an extra few minutes in here. Don't do it. Send the... So what do they do? (laughs) They tell Jesus what to do. Send him away so we can get him fed. Watch this. Because who are you in the story? Who am I? We're the disciples. Jesus, send him away. Watch this. Jesus does not want our advice. He wants our allegiance. Period. So when was the last time you gave Jesus advice? When did you know he was speaking right to your heart? He was, he was, he was tracking with you right to your heart. You knew he was talking to you and you... Really? But what, what about this? Don't you think maybe this is a better... And, and you know what I'm thinking? He doesn't want your advice. And we're constantly giving it to him. He wants our allegiance. Will we bow before the sovereign king? Will we? Will we surrender control of our lives, which means our, our agendas? Will we do that? Will we do that? I told you one of the things that troubled me the most when I was a, a, early in, in ministry. One interruption after another. People just tracking you down for all sorts of crazy stuff. And I remember trying to hide from some people. They're just, and, and I'm sitting with a dear friend, Rob West, and he said to me one day, he says, what you don't understand is interruptions are your ministry. What? Let me go to the man. Jesus, is he right? I thought we had a plan here. I can get a lot more done working on this plan. No, 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 no. No. Are you at a place right now where you know for sure? Are you? Where you'd be if this were your last moment? Where would you end up? Right now is a time of invitation. You know what that means? With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Christ is saying this to you. Come to me right now. Come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Stop your self-salvation project. Stop trying to be good. Yeah, be good, do this, but don't think that's going to get you in. Don't think because you're a good person and you're better than the person sitting next to you or the people that you see on the news that you're going to get in. That doesn't get you in. You get in one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You believe that truth? You should believe it if you believe the feeding of the 5,000. He is who he says he is. And you know what he says to you? I got a place for you at my table. He's got a little name card on it. He's got your name right on it. He's got a place right there. And it's the chief seat. You know how I know that? They're all chief seats in heaven. They're all with the master. So it wouldn't matter where you're sitting, you're in a chief seat. Have you come to that clear assurance that you're his? If you're trusting in Christ alone, you have. Trust in Christ alone. The finished work on the cross, when Jesus said it is finished, he meant what he said. The penalty for your sin has been paid. The wrath of God has been appeased. And salvation has been made way by the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Christ alone. And salvation is yours this day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel. For the power, the power of God unto salvation is the gospel. Pray right now, Father. Every heart in here with me who is already a believer. We all pray together right now for somebody on the internet, someone right now, somebody in this sanctuary who will pray these words. Oh God, I heard the gospel. I know it's true. 
And I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I cry out to you. Give me the gift of eternal life. Give me the gift of repentance and faith. And then give me the confident assurance of knowing that now that I am in Christ, nothing will ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Today is a day of salvation. Tomorrow it may be too late. Trust. Trust in Christ alone. You know what the gospel contains. You know the power that is in it. Receive it by grace, through faith, and eternal life is yours. Praise his mighty name. And for those of you who have been walking with him for decades, keep on walking. By faith and not by sight. Trusting him every step of the way until we all cross the Jordan. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand as we continue our worship?